Bliss with Arnabre, episode 66 from Talking Stuff Network, and I'm Vikram Mohan. Before we begin, I'd just like to take a moment to thank our network sponsor, Sleep Spa from Coirfit. My mattress pick is Nirvana, made of 100% organic latex. It uses 100% natural bamboo fabric. It's dust mite resistant and environment friendly and biodegradable. How often do you get to say that for a mattress? Sleep Spa offers a whopping 11-year warranty for the mattress. So, uh, gift yourself or a loved one back in India great sleep and relief from backaches, and order a mattress from sleepspa.in, and you can use the coupon code Talking Stuff fifteen and get fifteen percent off. We thank them for the support of our YouTube channel and all our podcasts. And now, let me welcome our host Arnab and quickly ask him something uh, about something that nation is discussing right now. Hey, Arnab. Hello. So please tell us how awesome was Inside Edge season two. <laughs> Inside Edge season two, I haven't been able to finish it, and that's because it became slightly boring towards the mid. So first of all, this is a much sober. This is a way more sober. Uh, this is a very sober season compared to season one. So for those of you who have seen Inside Edge season one, Inside Edge season one was, uh, let's say, action packed. It was. It was. There was a lot going on, and when I say this, I, I say this with a smirk on my face. Season two, it seems that they've decided to tone it down. I think they've they have tried to make it a little bit more. Um, what should I say? Uh, I mean, I think season two is better in 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 many respects in the sense that I think they've you know first of all Vivek Obera is he's in a blink and miss it, which is again one of the reasons why the quality has gone up. Of season two, <laughs> I was about to ask you that because he doesn't feature in the promos. Yeah, no, he is there, but it's it, it has this. So the problem with this is that, and I don't want to spoil it for you any more than uh, any more than necessary because I want all of you to watch Inside Edge. But Inside Edge at the end, it it finishes with a cliffhanger, and when the season begins for season two, it seems that everybody has forgotten what the cliffhanger was. So this is somewhat. disconcerting that you well, what happened next well nobody seems to care uh even in the script nobody seems to care i mean and again i'm not telling you what it is but it's it's fairly big enough that you won't like forget <laughs> wow. it that's very strange yeah it's like okay so the analogy with game of thrones is like the first season when you know danny stands there in the fire and, and and three dragons come out and in the second season there's just no dragon there's like <laughs> <laughs> nothing i mean danny is looking like Absolutely cool. Nothing seemed to have happened to her. She's totally forgotten, and everything has been almost been written out. Almost. So this is. I, I mean, I don't know where they're going with this. Maybe we'll come back to it later. But for me, this is like I've never seen a TV series which ends on a cliffhanger like that and then totally forgets its own cliffhanger in season two. I know this happened to Lost in the sense that at the very end they just looked at all the different threads they had begun. Don't chedofy old wounds, Arnab. I still haven't gotten yes. over that. <laughs> it was like screw it. We made too many things which we can't resolve. Just just pretend as if they didn't happen. So again, it makes sense when you have like seven, eight seasons like uh, Lost, where you have like multiple writers and there was no 
and it kind of happened to game of thrones too but this is the second season man you expect this to be so but otherwise i would say it's a it's it's a much more boring i mean for me it's much more boring because there's really nothing nothing gunda like that's going on it's like <laughs> it's like enormous there's a lot of talk and a lot of conspiracies and everything is always happening that's there but there is no vivek oberoi there is i mean much of the things that made season 1 so endearing and so 90s is is kind of gone so i i haven't finished it yet but i i do intend to uh, but before that i actually saw two two interesting movies um uh-huh. one was uh, well actually i saw three now that i think of it the other one just it was like drinking soda it just like went through like uh, empty calories it's called underground 6 i think that oh man okay the michael bay one yeah the michael bay one so it was so this was uh, underground 6 is uh, yeah it's it's a, it's a michael bay movie i want to see how my, what michael bay does in netflix and it's just it's a very crappy michael bay movie it's not even a good michael michael bay movie it's it's it's, it's very bad uh i don't know how i mean netflix really needs to do some kind of quality control uh because they produce a lot of content and right now the big challenge with netflix is i think it produces too much content every time i log on to netflix there is some other marquee uh movie or tv series and they have to given the kind of challenge at least in the us market they're having from disney plus where disney's basically taken all the marvel and all the disney stuff and all the uh you know you know children's programming most of it has gone over to disney plus netflix the only strategy that i think that netflix can adopt is to be very selective and when we there's a notion of trust right i think hbo hbo is nowhere close to netflix now in terms of the con- in terms of the sheer volume of content but net i'll tell you one thing quality HBO, wise yeah quality wise whenever hbo does something you may not like it it might not work for you but you know that there is a lot of quality right. control it's not it's just random they're taking like karan johar throws out what was that that other movie which i didn't even that that drive i think it was drive drive yeah drive on it so yeah. yeah so so it's not just like taking anything that anybody throws at it and just puts it there i mean netflix i think if if this is what they're trying to do i don't think they have a big future i think one of the reasons why netflix or any online per- because there is just so many available that people want curation people want upfront curation and i think they are doing a really shit job of of curating content which brings me to one movie that i saw on netflix and one movie that i saw in the theater so the movie that i saw in the theater was a movie called knives out so knives out in general murder mysteries are not looked upon ever as like class a movies they're always deprecated to being b movies it it always happens but in this case i i read the reviews of knives out and it seemed like you know people were saying that this is an this is really a a grade movie done by a listers very agatha christie like plot and and till that extent it's true it's a very very agatha christie like setup with the body in the library and you know the those tropes and i understood that that they were going for a mock homage tongue in cheek that was very obvious within the first 15 minutes but somehow this just didn't work for me because you see this is a very difficult genre to pull off where you actually have a 
have a story and you're actually mocking the underpinnings of a genre. Um, Scream, for those of you who have seen it, does it very well. Uh, it's both a great slasher movie as well as at the same time a spoof of a slasher movie. So this is very, very difficult to pull off. And I think that that's where, that's at least what Knives Out was trying to go with. And I just didn't feel that it worked. I thought it worked much better as a spoof than it worked as a genuine murder mystery. For those of us, and I, it might work for people who haven't read a lot of murder mysteries, but for those of us who kind of grew up reading a bunch of murder mysteries, read everything that Agatha Christie has written, the twist is telegraphed. I won't tell you, but it is telegraphed within the first 15, 20 minutes by something which very obvious that one person does. And again, this, it's, it's sometimes difficult. I think it's a very high expectation that people who have grown up reading Christie will ever be shocked by anything. Um, there was one book I read written by Michelle Boussy. I'm kind of forgetting the name. I think it was Black Dahlia, not Black Dahlia, something like that. I'll tell you later. That I think was perhaps the only book that I read in the last 10 years, Murder Mystery, where I did couldn't I didn't see it coming in a way. I thought it was very well done. But other than that, you know, Knives Out is fun sometimes. And Knives Out is very, of course, nowadays in, in, in Hollywood, you cannot have anything without the politics. So it's all about illegal immigration and everything in a murder mystery. And you know, white privilege and you know, all the standard things. And, and, and you can see, but I sometimes feel it just becomes too heavy handed and preachy. And it forgets that it started out as a murder mystery and as a spoof. So the spoof part of it perhaps persists throughout. I would see a weak spoof, but as a murder mystery, it just didn't work for me. It's still amusing and still worth watching if you can, you know, watch it online streaming, but I wouldn't recommend that you go and you know, see it in the theater. The second movie that I saw, the third movie actually, is the marriage story. So marriage story, have you seen it, Vikram? Yes, yes. Just uh, day before yesterday. So I really loved marriage story. It kind of starts off slow. It kind of starts off slow. So it it, it takes a little, it's not, it's not, uh, you know, the kind of uh, movie that kind of grips you immediately and doesn't let you go. It's not like that, but it does get like that kind of towards the end. Um, so it's a story of a divorce. Uh, it's, it's almost like a play in many parts of it. I mean, it is about two people who are actors in theater. And like one's a director and one is an actor. actor. Um, and Scarlett Johansson's the actor and Adam Driver is a director. Uh, and many of the best sequences are almost like a play. It's like the perhaps the most powerful sequence is a sequence in which the husband and wife just square off against each other in a room. Yep. It's just such a powerful sequence. The one where Adam Driver ends up crying. Is that the one you have to yes. go to? Yeah. Yes. So, so again, that's it's very much like a play. So it's about a, it's almost like a play in a play, um, and, and, and everything about it, it's 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 beautiful. It's it's a beautifully bittersweet. It's it's bittersweet, of course, but it's and 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 it just it looks at something a little bit different than movies like this that we have seen, like for instance, Kramer versus Kramer. I mean. For me, the principal focus of marriage story was why do we get married? And the kind of conflict between ourselves, like what we want to be in life and where marriage wants to take us. 
and in, and there is no right or wrong but there is there is there is a part of us that wants to be someone as an individual and there is a part of us that want to that want to get somewhere as a family person and most of the time in modern life these two one has to lose out to another and this is a story of these two people who are very talented people who are trying to reconcile that and they realize that there is no way it's not a question of them falling out of love with each other it is repeatedly shows that they're very much in love with each other at the very end also but it's just that 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 do you do you love the marriage or do you love what you want to be and these two people take a you know take a very distinct decision as to what they want to do i think it's just beautifully done beautifully acted it's not just the main protagonist but i felt the lawyers and the yeah yeah La- laura dern especially i mean i love the way she pulled it off and uh, ray liotta <laughs> I, i thought it was i thought just i thought it was brilliant i i hope that i was so is... happy seeing alan alda uh, from back in the match days yes, i'm a huge alda. fan <laughs> so alan so in this in this movie they're going through a divorce and first the husband uh, you know hires alan alda as his lawyer because he finds him to be you know, a decent nice person and then he fires him because he's just too decent he just he's not looking at it from a lawyer legal term but but more like the human aspect of it and then you know the husband realizes that in a legal you know battle given the kind of law, right. lawyer that her, his wife has hired you know he needs somebody who's just basically as big an asshole as the other person and of course they the the lawyers rip each other's clients up in court uh and that's in a way it's 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 not just about what i said it's also a critique about the american divorce system and you know you have to see it it's it's actually very very well done and you know it really hones in on hones in on the trouble spots of you know of american divorce law i don't know how i don't i don't know what what it is in india but this definitely there's things like you know there's a place where his lawyer says that the moment you let your wife move to another state with your son right, right. You know, your wife can automatically claim that that is her home state and right. you have to go and file in that state so now she has an advantage you have to fly there you have to go there and that's like this guys in new york she's in la so it's like across the country and it's expensive so you know just that act you know loses you know it's an uphill task to get the son back or to even transfer the jurisdiction to new york it's now in california uh in which you know and so i won't spoil that part for you but it's 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 not only a very human story but it's also a very interesting look at the way divorce works in the us in modern times mm-hmm. okay so moving on to the marquis story for today what's been kind of been on everybody's minds and uh uh it's it's of course uh the you know normally when we i say cab i think cricket association of bengal uh and but this is the first time when i'm saying cab in this <laughs> amendment bill uh it didn't again, strike it's, me yeah yeah so i i i, I saw uh you know uh, yogendra yadav uh on on television saying this is the worst thing that the modi government has ever done now yogendra yadav says that every week and one can argue that it is perhaps true that every week 
the Modi government does something which is the worst thing it has done. And but but it always reminds me of Apple during the Apple event saying this is the best iPhone ever. Of course, <laughs> the latest iPhone. It should be. I don't want to hear though. This is not the best iPhone. The best iPhone was the version before that. So moving past uh, the Yogendra Yadavisms and you know that 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 buttery voice of 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 tolerance and I'm doing air quotes here. But let's just talk about the citizenship amendment. Like and I'm not a lawyer, but I you know, using my common sense, I think there's there was there was a lot of debate on it, whether it is constitutional or not. So the citizenship amendment bill, you know, the, the main thing is that the main argument is that it violates Article 40, uh, which basically says you cannot discriminate between people on the basis of religion. However, there is this thing in Article 14, if you read it, it says within the territory of India. So for me, that is the that is the main thing. That Article 14 is basically is basically there's a context which is within the territory of India. So it refers to people who are legally within the territory of India. Any law applies, does not apply to illegal people. It does not apply to people who do not have the rights to be within the territory of India. That's by definition. So it applies to people, Article 14. So what the citizen, the scab, the citizenship amendment bill is actually not even within the ambit of Article 14 would be the way I would argue it in court. Because Article 14 refers to people who are within the territory of India and that automatically implies legally within the territory of India, which means it applies to Indian citizens and it applies to those who are who have a visa in India or whatever it is, but they have resident status within India. And this, this is one point. And the second point is that does the government have the right to impose certain criteria? And again, once it does have the right to impose criteria, it does have a right to limit some of these things as long as there is an objective, there's a stated objective as to why you're doing it. That objective itself can be defended. And the fact there should be an objective. Second is the classification should be linked to that objective. And third is that the classification should be something that's enforceable. So for instance, if you say we want to allow only good people to enter India, that won't work because there is no objective criteria for evaluating the goodness of an individual. So again, the objective is, is, is very clear. It has been clearly articulated. It is to provide a home for Hindus who have been persecuted due to partition and the establishment of of countries with Islam as the state religion. Okay. It's that is the objective of the amendment. The countries to which it applies, which is Bangladesh, Pakistan, and Afghanistan, that is consistent with that objective. Bangladesh and Pakistan were part of undivided India. And Afghanistan, again, people will say, why Afghanistan? Well, it is because the Afghanistan-Pakistan border itself, what is currently Afghanistan, what is currently Pakistan, isn't what Afghanistan was at the time of independence. While the British did not conquer Afghanistan fully, there were parts of Afghanistan which was part of the Northwest Frontier Province. In those days. So there is, and given the nature of the, and it still is, given the fluid nature of the border between Pakistan and Afghanistan, there were, and there was not a lot of Hindus, but there were a sizable number of Hindus who were in Afghanistan for many, many years. And 
the purpose of it is very clear what the purpose of the bill is. And I don't think Amit Shah has, has kind of pussyfooted on that. It's been very clear in saying what the objective of the bill is. It is not, and this is an important thing, it is not a Hindu homeland bill. It is not, some critics said, it's not an attempt to make India Israel, where Israel is a natural homeland for Jews. It is not. That's why it's not for Tamils from Sri Lanka or Hindus from Trinidad. It is not a free permit to enter India if you're a Hindu. If that had happened, then yes, that that would be very problematic. That would fundamentally be changing uh, the secular part that was introduced by, I believe, Indira Gandhi in the constitution. So that would India would then not be secular if it was kind of if it was kind of saying that it is a beacon for Hindus on all over the world. That then it essentially becomes a Hindu homeland, and, and so that would have been much more controversial. I mean, nowadays everything is controversial, but I would think that would have been so. When people say, "Why is it not for Tamils from Sri Lanka?" Well, if it was actually about for Tamils from Sri Lanka, then there would be a much bigger legal challenge to it. So the criteria is consistent with the objectives. And I think it's definitely an enforceable classifier. So I think that it's, I would say, again, I'm pretty sure there will be multiple challenges in the Supreme Court. And again, nobody knows how things will go. But I think this is solid, solid legal case. And of course, it's very, you know, it stands to reason that the government is not stupid. It won't just put through a cab without consulting constitutional experts whether it will stand. Because obviously, they know it will be challenged in court. So, again, this is purely about the legality of it. And again, I'll preface it with I'm not an expert, but based on, based on my lawyer brain, whatever of it that I have, I think that it is eminently defendable in court because of two reasons, as I said, repeating. One is, the, one is that Article 14 doesn't apply because it is not for, it is not for refugees. It is, it is not, it is an entry criterion. It is for people who are already inside India legally, yes, but it does not define, it It has nothing to say actually. So this is undefined as to what it is for entry criteria into the country. So this article 14 right. is out of scope. And second is that the classification that has been imposed is consistent with the objectives and you can enforce it. So let's now go into the, the more moral conundrum. That does this make India Hindu-Pakistan? Now, I'll again come to the fact that every country in the world has a right to set entry criteria, which is selective. It cannot have secular. Again, I'm not talking about theocracies. Theocracies, by their very nature, have a first-class citizens and second-class citizens. And that's the reason why you have a theocracy. But leaving aside theocracy, most secular republics, the countries in Europe or uh, US, let's use US since everybody wants to US as a point of comparison. You know, the US absolutely does not distinguish between any of its citizens, but it absolutely distinguishes between people who are not citizens. But those of you who have been stuck in green card retrogression, you know that the reason why you're stuck in, you know, why the uh, date for green cards is now 2008, 11 years. So that is the amount of weight that people have to do now. If you were, and this is just because you're from India, if you were from some other country, you wouldn't be, you would be getting visas immediately, green cards immediately. So, of course, the US has, has the every right to impose criteria for people that they're allowing into the country. Why, why does US have entry quotas? I mean, why discriminate against Indians based on a, a quota which says 
any country can only give so many uh, we will give only green cards to these people of the passport holders of this country there's an upper limit for that that's why indians and chinese get backlogged why that should not be the case why discriminate the fact is the us has every right to discriminate against people who are not citizens of the country they have every right yes they have the constitution right they have the constitution right to do it that's and again none of these have been ever been struck down by the us supreme court because they do have so so now i'm not talking about the morality of it or i'm just saying does first first the first part of the discussion was given the structure of the indian constitution is this allowed second point is okay let's assume that's true is the indian constitution okay is does it fall in line with other secular countries and what i'm trying to say yes it does i think this is the way pretty much all secular countries impose things they they have one standard for their citizens which is based on non discrimination and then there is one standard for those who are not citizens and which is based absolutely on discrimination they get to choose what kind of countries they get to choose what kind of professions i mean canada for instance has certain quotas for certain professions so they get to choose whatever classifies they want religion is a classifier um country is a classifier um they have in multiple bills in the in the us congress for you know having us quota for stem that is people who have degrees in science technology engineering and mathematics so somebody could say why why are you distinguishing i mean just like religion you can distinguish in why you distinguishing between a guy in stem and a guy in english literature again once you are in the us once you are in us citizen nobody can do that but once when you are not they definitely can and let's talk about religion you can say well nobody does it based on religion that's not true either because you know when trump had his quote unquote muslim ban uh, which was then struck down by the courts trump basically passed an executive order which without mentioning christians and muslims and we'll put a link there which is you know interprets the executive order is basically prioritizes christians over muslims in their immigration and by the way that has not been struck down by the courts and this is actually reflected in the numbers if you look at the recent numbers the the immigration the number of christians immigrating in the us has greatly increased because of measures passed by donald trump again i'm not saying whether this is right or wrong at all i'm just saying does donald trump have the right to does the president of a secular sovereign nation have the right to do this and the answer is yes it does so what india is doing is not something which is which is very idiosyncratic it's not something which is very unique it is something which pretty much everybody does now what trump did there was a lot of hand wringing people said this was not right but we're not talking about what is right or wrong religion is just a classifier just like nationality so i don't think that there is anything unconstitutional in terms of the indian constitution and in terms of the way things should be now which brings me to the third question which is do you support cap which is basically the question that people might be asking at this point of time but my my thing is my concern is purely been when you use nrc and cap together that is really where my concern is because when i mentioned this on twitter and people don't agree with this logics some of them don't but i'll say because but i stand by this that in in a case where a legal citizen a legal citizen 
who does get the protection of Article 14, if that legal citizen's legality is challenged, so by default is legal, but he gets challenged, then depending on whether you are a Hindu or a Muslim, the Hindu guy has one more card that he can play. And that to me is problematic. That then becomes a distinction between two religions. That is where my problem is. My problem is with the use of NRC and the CACAB together. It's not with CAB in isolation. Because a person who is Muslim cannot will have to prove the legality of that he is Indian by documents. The guy who is Hindu just has to show that he is Hindu and that he came. This is a much easier thing to do and to show that he was in the country before 2014. So the burden of proof is, is going to be very different and it's going to be based on religion for two legal Indian citizens. And that I believe might not, might not be in the spirit of Article 40. Again, not lawyer, but for me, that is where the real problem is. It's kind of a bug when two things are used together. Now, leaving that aside, and somebody could say, no, that's not the way law works, but whatever it is, I think this is the way it's going to work. Do I support the cap? Do I support the very basis of cap? Now, first of all, I, you know, as, as somebody who likes to think of himself as a liberal, uh, I don't support, I, I don't forget religion. I just don't support uh, this whole notion of defining citizenship retroactively. I, I, before CAB, I'd say I don't support NRC. I don't support NRC as a liberal because I, as a liberal who believes in, you know, being practical. It's not a question of if somebody is in a country legally legal, whether I don't, I'm not somebody who says that there is nothing known as illegal immigration. Of course there is. And illegal immigration must be stopped. But I also believe that people who are already in the country and they have been in the country for decades and they have had children in their homes, you cannot throw them out. It doesn't matter whether it doesn't matter whether they came in legally or illegally at that point of time. This is not a matter of principle, but a matter of pragmatics. Okay. When you as a country, we have many challenges. And the last thing, well, some some of the last things that I wanted to handle is to go and turn around and decide, try to decide which of which people entered legally and which people did not enter legally, given the kind of history that India has had. This is not, you cannot compare this to US and Mexico. There was not an exchange of populations. There was not a decision to split a country into two parts, actually three parts. So given the kind of history that India has had, the notion of legal citizen and illegal citizen is really not something which you can even satisfactorily decide. In the and the cost of deciding it will be very, very high. It doesn't matter as far as I'm concerned. Definitely, definitely have make border crossings difficult. The problem is that the border is porous. That is where the focus should be. And it's porous because of a very good reason, because politicians don't want it to be non-porous. Because at least as I know in Bengal, this is the source of the biggest vote bank for whoever's ruling the state. When, when the CPM government was ruling the state, Mamata Banerjee was against illegal immigration from Bangladesh. Now she is for it because she gets the exact same. So leaving that aside, leaving the, leaving the political equations aside, for me, I think that you just cannot take people and throw them out. Okay, Where are they going to go? Bangladesh won't take them. And somebody will say, well, US throws uh, illegal immigrants out. We are not US. 
Okay, U.S. can throw illegal immigrants out because they're U.S. and the guy they're throwing it out is Mexico or Costa Rica or Bangladesh and India. We do not, we do not, we cannot throw people out like that and expect Bangladesh to just go and accept them back. So what we are creating in a sense is going to be a number of people, stateless people. We will have to house them in camps. How much money will it cost the government? Forget the ethicality of it. But of course, the, the terrible PR of maintaining essentially prison camps for stateless, for stateless individuals. And many people of these, they're not people who were caught at the border. These people have been legitimate, you know, legitimate, so supposedly legitimate, I would say supposedly, but they have been in the country for decades. You can't just then throw them out of the house and keep them in a camp. None of this makes any kind of sense. This is not what our national priorities should be. Again, it's not a matter of principle. Did they come in legally? Perhaps not. There has been no notion of legality for decades. When people, were, when people lost everything and they were crossing the border in 1948, what legality, what visa, what embassy? This is not, we live with the legacy of partition. We cannot then look and you know, take an example from the US or from Europe. We don't have that history. It's not a question of the borders have been porous. We change the definition of what a country is. We change the definition. And we as in the greater Indian nation, I mean, Pakistan and Bangladesh, they not only change the definition of, of their countries in terms of redrawing the lines, they change the definition of what a first-class citizen is in their country. So the question of legal and illegal doesn't really make sense. Whoever is here now is here now. That In a way, it's legal. So for me, I don't support. I mean, I do not support the NRC. I do not support it at all. I support it CAB to the extent that I would say that if I was, if I, I would say whoever's in the country, whoever's came into the country before 2014 or whatever you want is considered legal. That's it. Whatever religion. Okay. So draw an ending line and say, okay, now we, pro- we propose to do these, these, these things at our borders to make sure this doesn't happen anymore. But for whoever made it, everybody gets an amnesty. Everybody stays in. Is it the right way? I don't know. It is the only practical feasible way of resolving this situation, given that, you know, we have so many other problems that this government needs to solve. Many of them, their own making, actually. So this is not a problem that we should be solving at this because this is not a problem at all. It, it, again, it's a very emotional issue. It's a, it's a big vote winner. So I know and understand why, uh, why, it's, why it's like the, 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 the steaming hot plate on, on, on our national dinners, but it should not be. So, but, but I also understand, you know, given as being a pragmatic person, I also understand that um, not the whole country should, does not think like I do. And that as the election results show, there is, there's a lot of people who, who want to, and that is, you know, I, I understand that people are not obliged to look at the world that I do. This is an issue of emotional importance for many people that do Hindus in India want to show brotherhood for a specific section of Hindu dash Indians who were once part of this country. This is not, again, I'll come back. This is not, a general Hindu brotherhood for people who were never part of India. This is part of, this is people who are part of India and who were rendered non-Indians by the simple experiment of redrawing the border. And for two countries in the three, one country at that point of time, basically making themselves an Islamic country. So 
what do people think about these people there are not a lot of people so for me that is where i give a limited support to it again i don't still think we should be concerning ourselves with it but given that sufficient number of people might think this is important i believe i'm okay with this personally again for me the best solution would be to legalize everybody irrespective of their religion who came into the country before a certain time period it's 2014 it's 2014 that's it and stop the nrc so there's no reason for nrc we have border we have border and we and that to me makes sense because what we are doing is we are trying to draw an ending line to the legacy of partition what we are telling people is that look we understand that our history has not been typical of other countries and so now given the fact that we are aware of our history we are drawing the line that the legacy of partition ends here that the population exchange that happened and the population exchange again the whole notion of population exchange you can say is illegal nobody has documents but it's i mean what else were people supposed to do at that point of time so I mean, none of this makes any sense to me but i think that should have been the best resolution that's the one that i would have wholeheartedly endorsed and i don't think that anybody would have opposed that because it would be non discriminatory but i also understand that given the history of 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 hindus in pakistan and bangladesh that that some people would feel that no that 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 it you know warrants something special for them and again while i don't support it i kind of see their point too which brings me to perhaps the last point which is you know the, the situation in assam so this is this is a difficult thing in general which is where you have a state which which uh, which claims its 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 cultural uniqueness and its ethnic purity and the problem with assam has always been that that they want to that they believe that they are being invaded by people of different cultures who are who are uh, who are drowning out their native culture and and this again there is again the question is this right or is this wrong is this xenophobia well depends right um when the marathi says the same thing about uh, the tamils or the or the bhaiyas or whatever they want to call them that's called xenophobia why isn't the same logic used for assam now the assamis would say we we not against indian citizens we are against illegal bangladeshis that it brings me to the point that given the history of given the history of partition that it's very difficult to say who is illegal the 1960s 70s bangali khadano which was the anti bengali agitation in assam was about bengalis it was there was no distinction between who came from where it was anybody who spoke bengali was target of violence um and again we this is not the only state where this has happened i think zeno you know this kind of anti uh, people who are not part of the mainstream exists everywhere i've said that it exists in bengal it exists against marwaris there's never been violence thankfully against marwaris but it's there you know mamata banerji when the bjp was coming to she kept on saying outsiders outsiders it's very obvious who she's talking about she's talking about people who don't speak bengal she's talking about biharis so it it exists i mean it 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 definitely exists in every state there is there is no you know moral superiority here uh but my point again is the is the fact that you know in some places and this is especially also true for uh, the 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 favorite state of jammu and kashmir where apparently it's perfectly okay for some people to want to maintain their way of life but it's not okay for people in some other states to want to maintain their way of life now i don't propose a solution i don't really know what the solution to it is 
um a part of me understands the fact that people in assam would want to maintain uh their own unique lifestyle and i would say that the same we should give afford the same moral justification to marathis and the same moral justification to bengalis that they might want to maintain in their own states some kind of and which again comes i, I think this is this not just me talking idly this this kind of comes back to can there be a truly secular state or is major is some sort of majoritarianism a controlled majoritarianism i would say within the ramification within the structure of law inevitable in any place and for me as i look at the world more and more i believe that to be the case that they really cannot that majoritarianism is inevitable in any place all you need to do is basically keep it in control you cannot deny majoritarianism you cannot tell the majority that look you cannot be majoritarian and if you're doing it you are a bad person if you keep on messaging it like that what happens is that basically emboldens the right wing we have seen that in the us we are seeing that in the uk and we are seeing that in india there's a message there there's a message that modern democracies have to come to a happy middle ground between the rights of the minorities as well as the rights of the majorities it's it's considered to be xenophobic or it's considered again when i say xenophobic air quotes by liberals to talk about majority rights but you have to if you do not then you risk you risk going to the other extreme and we are seeing that so definitely the assamese should have some kind of majority rights in their state the bengalis should have some majority rights in their state whether it's a question of should again comes from pragmatism you can say it doesn't matter we are all indians we are all brothers and sisters we should all be freely moving from one place to another yeah it sounds good except it never really happens that way right what i'm what i'm against is different standards for different states based on uh, the based on you know my politics that's what i'm against i'm all for consistency i'm all for morally gray areas also because you know i realize that that should happen as you grow old you realize that the world is not really black and white and there are morally gray areas where you must compromise and you know it's neither right or wrong but it is the one that's most practical and most feasible again which is which is my take on illegal immigration in india is it right i don't know it's the most feasible thing and it's it's right in a way that you know because in india as in there's not been a definite definition of a country there's been not been definite definition of who gets protection from the state so it's not like any other country so the notion of legality and illegality itself in in my opinion is moot in india till now now it's all fixed this doesn't apply anymore this applied to the legacy of partition and we have it's been years now so now i think is the time is that the focus again for immigration should be on keeping people out i think that's the prerogative of every country and again liberals will turn and say it's xenophobic to say that you know keep migrants out keep but but the, every country has the right you know i am a migrant i'm an economic migrant to the us and in order to get there i had to meet a lot of criteria that other people who were born in the us did not have to i had to meet criteria that people from other countries who were immigrating did not have to okay that comes that is my risk that is i just take it or leave it for me and i choose to take it so 
that will always remain. And I, I hope that I have the right to say it as a migrant myself, that I don't find that in any shape or form discriminatory. If I felt that the U.S. had discriminated against me, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have, you know, have, have, have been living here for so long. I don't think that the U.S. actually, this is one of the, yes, there are racist incidents from time to time, but overall, I think U.S. is, you know, the rule of law tolerance is kind of built into this country. And, you know, people will say under Trump, it has become intolerant. And I've said this before in podcasts. I don't think that's true at all. I don't think that's true at all. I think the same things happened before. It was just that the media just did not focus on them as much as they did while Trump was in power. And does Trump make things worse? Absolutely. Trump talks a lot. You know, he, this, this topic for another podcast. But the point is, every country has a right Summing, summing up to decide who to let in, who not to let in. They have a right to impose certain criteria. All you can expect is that the criteria is consistently followed. And the and you should not distinguish between your citizens, but you can definitely distinguish between people who you decide to let in and become citizens. And that's it for today's podcast. All right. And uh, before we close, yeah, remember that... Uh... Two weeks from now, we have the Q&A special episode coming up. So uh, send in your questions with the hilarious hashtag, hashtag not that Arnab. And uh, what would be fun, uh, Arnab, is uh, uh, what I'm going to ask our uh, listeners, if they can also send in voice messages to our WhatsApp number. That's 96525-7883. And you can add the country code for India, plus 91 if you're outside. That's 96525-78833. And we'll include your voice messages in the podcast uh, when I, uh, you know, uh, when I read them out. And uh, if you're listening to this using the Anchor podcast player, you'll find a link directly to uh, send us a voice message. So that's an option as well. And of course, I will be reminding you of Arnab's Patreon. That's patreon.com slash greatbong. So do pledge any amount that you're comfortable with. And uh, also, uh, we appreciate if you'd uh, recommend this podcast to your friends and enemies. So until uh, next time, take care.